0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Listening, hear me. I may not pass this way again. Hello, and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with actor, comedian, writer and improviser, Susan Harrison. Before we get to the conversation, I'd just like to play you a bit of this. It's my new song, A Lover or a Friend, which is only available to download and stream on Bandcamp. I've chosen Bandcamp because I feel they're the best streaming site, and they've also done a lot to help artists during the pandemic. Find more information about this song and the other projects that I'm working on at robertlaymusic.co.uk. Thank you. A lover or a friend Someone to tell your lies to now that the night has grown so cold. A keepsake or a limb, it makes no difference to you now that your heart has been. I'm on a mission to help you unlock your creativity. I'm sharing my journey as a musician, actor and writer, as well as offering online content like guitar and songwriting tutorials and chat about creativity. I'm doing this because I know how important creativity is for mental health and I believe everyone has a creative spirit. I want to help you find yours. Join me at robertlaymusic.co.uk and on social media as Music. Thank you. Hi Susan, how are you?
1: Hello. I'm good, thank you. Yeah, not too bad.
0: Good. What is a normal, if such a thing exists anymore, day for you, a sort of creative day? Have you got a creative space set up? What do, What are you doing day to day? How's it working at the moment?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I sort of feel like sometimes I've got into little routines creatively and then something comes along and just knocks it all off Or, or sometimes you just like yesterday, I was really massively unmotivated mm. uh, in a sort of lock, you know, in a classic lockdown styley. Um, but if if it's a day that is going to plan, then I um, I usually have something in mind that I want to achieve. Like uh, I'm probably going to make a sketch later on today, so that'll be a thing um, to tick off. And then I have various writing projects, so. This morning, I did a bit of writing first thing, um then admin, so yeah, like a sort of creative sandwich with admin in the middle
0: <laughs> and are you diarising that then is it like you know are you keeping office hours to do that, or are you doing it as and when inspiration strikes
1: um sort of a bit of a mixture i've Throughout this whole time period, I've tried, as I'm sure lots of people have tried different approaches. uh, And I've tried the approach of sticking to like office hours or sticking to a set routine. But it's really, I find it really hard. And there's usually something that comes in the middle that that throws that off. Like, Mm. whether that's uh, teaching an online class or having to get back to someone about about um a specific gig or you know there's usually something that kind of intervenes so I'm trying to be fairly flexible but having um things I need to tick off the list really helps if you see what I mean yes having something to to achieve
0: and I don't know about you but for me doing almost everything from the same space has its advantages and disadvantages because in theory you can get a lot done you don't have to travel anywhere you're not sitting on or sitting cars or the tube or whatever Mm. But then on the other hand, if your headspace is on one thing in the morning, I find it a little bit tricky then to sort of swerve onto something completely different in the afternoon, or you're already thinking Mm. about tomorrow morning's Zoom call when you're trying to write something now. Like, have you found a way around that, or is it just just something we have to deal with?
1: Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean, the being in one space thing. Yeah, totally. And I do actually find moving rooms Mm. helps a bit, like... Uh, like working, sometimes working in my bedroom, <laughs> which is not an office space by any stretch, but sometimes it's just like, oh, this is a different physical space. So it's a different headspace for a, a kind of, um, it feels like this room is a bit more like if it's um, thinking about ideas for a sketch as opposed to um, another space where I've got a desk, which is more like admin or writing a bit of prose, something a bit more structured. Mm. So yeah, I think actually that's a good. I hadn't really thought of it like that, but I think the space you're in does really affect that. Yeah, well for me anyway.
0: So maybe um, having like yeah. a playroom and a, a workroom, yeah. I suppose, is the thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess it is a bit like that. Yeah, yeah. Because the the online sketches I make is very much like playtime. So yeah, that is that's much more. Um, yeah, a bit more sort of free uh as opposed to like an office type accomplishment <laughs> yeah. and then
0: i'm interested for people like how that's changed so would writing have been a big part of your your week anyhow before all of the events of the last year and abyss would you have been at home writing or has it has it changed that you're doing more of that now
1: mm. yeah it's a great question and i've thought about that a lot over this time period and i have always written and when i Look, I was thinking about it, like knowing we were going to chat today about, you know, creativity and creative careers. And I was thinking, like, even when I was predominantly a jobbing actor doing like, you know, working actor roles like um, touring and stuff, even then I was squeezing in like playwriting courses on my day off or. Um, when I didn't have a laptop, I was borrowing the stage manager's laptop Mm. in the wings. (laughs) So yeah, writing's always been a huge part of my work and, and, um, and what I love to do, but I think having this year has really enabled me to prioritize it in a way that I've never done before. And, um, and with my writing partner, Lucy trod, we, this we've achieved much more in this space of time than we ever have before. Um, Because, you know, it's just opened up those periods of unemployment hasn't it <laughs> those golden days of unemployment and <laughs> lockdown which have meant that you can you can spend time focusing on on things that normally got pushed aside by by the paid work you were having to do
0: and the travelling between as well like yeah. if you're touring or, or you know gigging and auditioning even the doing the thing is only part of it, supposedly the fun bit, but the getting there and the learning the stuff and the thinking about it, not having that for it or not having as much of that for a year, for me anyway, it's like that takes an awful lot of time, <laughs> all that mm. stuff. I had to drive somewhere to do something yesterday for the first time in ages, and you're just like, oh yeah, when you drive for two hours, that's two hours when you're not, you know, sitting mm. looking for the muse or whatever it is that you do when you're <laughs> at home. It's. It's interesting to have that forcibly removed because I think, as as you say, like freelancers and jobbing creatives, I don't know, it's very difficult to carve out some time where you don't do that because you're just used to saying yes to things when they're there. So totally. to have it enforced, it's a really different mindset, isn't it? And I, I wonder how much that's going to affect our, our thinking going forward, if at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really true. <clears throat> um, yeah, because... Uh touring and like doing one night like as I'm sure you, you do as well, like one night gigs here and there, as well as longer chunks of gigs. Yeah, it's so much extra faff. Just like the whole thing of like getting your suitcase down, you know, packing your little wheelie suitcase, going from wherever you live to the tube, to the train, to the, you know, final theater in the in the final destination stuff. But yeah, you're right, it really eats into your time um and also you're knackered and mm. yeah and you haven't said no to anything so you've got all these extra like random random gigs as well as your main gigs and yeah i think that's true and with my writing partner she lives in kent and i live in london so um i think perhaps we just didn't really carve out as much time for each other as we could have um because we thought perhaps that we had to be in the same physical place yeah uh but now that we know that we don't have to be in the same physical space we've we've had like weekly zooms, and yeah, it's been much more productive. Um, I think you're right, like when things as things gradually shift back to more like how they were, I think a lot of people will still be wanting to hold on to a bit of this a bit of this extra time that's been carved out.
0: yeah, I think I was going to ask you about the writing side of it as well because I know some people have found collaborating remotely. I wouldn't say impossible, but really difficult because it's just a different mm. energy. But then, as, as you've mentioned, it, it means you can do it when you maybe wouldn't. So like even, you know, Kent and London, but you can actually collaborate with anyone in the world, like, you know, who you would mm. perhaps never normally get the chance to even talk to, let alone work with. And, you know, and I find on the podcast as well, I've spoken to people probably who, who have less on at the moment than they might have done, certainly at the start of last year, you know, the start of the, the lockdown. And people are quite keen to chat. <laughs> so there's not an awful lot <laughs> else going on, so yeah. How has that happened with, or how has that worked for you and Lucy? Then the the writing was there any any problems with it being remote, or did it kind of work straight away? I think perhaps the fact that you've done it before. I think new collaborations may have been challenging for people, mm. but it's with someone that you've worked with before. Perhaps it's it's a different thing.
1: Yeah, I think that's true because we've we've known each other for years and we've worked together as improvisers prior to being writing partners Mm -hmm. so yeah so I think that was quite an easy shift um but I do think that but I really struggled with the um with collaborating online in a performance sense Mm -hmm. uh so yeah I think it really suits writing and it really suits you know anything sort of discursive but just personally for me I've found it almost impossible to (laughs) to perform online with I just love being in the same room as someone and I've missed that so much. I have had opportunities along during this period to be in the same room as people, which is incredibly lucky. But um, yeah, some people just really took to like Zoom performance and Zoom improv and all this sort of stuff. But for me, uh, I just was quite bad at it. (laughs) And then I just didn't go near it. I was like, oh, this is horrible. Honestly, look in people's eyes, not pretend to look in their eyes, you know.
0: Yeah and all the, you know those delays just at the wrong moment and everything as well mm. and I cuz I've done a couple of those sorts of things and it's like music wise is is okay I think it's weird not having people clap or whatever at the end although that happens in real life shows for me too <laughs> but um I did a couple of comedy improv shows and it's all fine but you've got absolutely no idea how it's going down Yeah it's and it's you know Yeah it's very that side of it's strange I would hate to ask you about stuff that you didn't enjoy or didn't work but what were some That's of those okay. things then that yeah. that you were trying to no, do with before: it's, it's a
1: good question, because I think it's really interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I had such a visceral reaction. <laughs> uh, it was really early on, and it was like, just as everything had gone crazy and been and everything had been cancelled for, for everyone. Um, and it was with These Folk, which is this uh, improvised folk play with songs that I do with Justin Brett um, and our musicians, Curtis and Rosie. And it was for Bristol Improv Theatre, um, and we were meant to be doing it in the flesh obviously. And then it got switched to online, yeah. but we were all learning at the same time because it was so early on in the process. So like, you couldn't hear me for the first 10 minutes, but I had no idea. <laughs> and like, Justin was like gamely trying to carry on, but all his friends were texting him going, I can't, I can't hear Sue. I can't hear Sue, you know? Uh, and it was, <laughs> it just felt so disconnected and, um, the next day we were both so sad about it just because like we spent years trying to get good at something very, very specific. And then you feel like overnight you're quite sort of eggy at it and like doing (laughs) just a slightly rubbish version of something that you've specialised in. So yeah, it was, uh, yeah. But having said that, I think um, it was such a quick learning curve for everyone from a technology point of view that had we done another show a year, you know, eight months down the line or something, it probably would have been all right. But it was just at that very starting point when everyone was on a massive learning curve. and um, But also, you know, you just can't improvise harmonies and interesting Um, rhythmic stuff remotely um, if it's completely improvised, you know, uh, because of the the old classic lag situation. So, yeah, (laughs) so that was a really... Yes, that was really weird. And then I did another, I just like guested in someone's show maybe like a week or so later because it was very short and they were, they're fantastic performers and stuff. Um, but again, I just didn't really like what I did. I thought they were great, but I wasn't happy with, with how I'd performed. So it just felt like less painful just to step away. Um, and I think people who are really cerebral performers are probably quite good at it, Mm. but that's not really my approach and it's not really my, what I'm drawn to. So for me, it was, um, yeah, better not to do it or to just wait until the technology had developed or or to wait until there was time to practice it.
0: Do you think you were missing that audience thing then? That
1: Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, like I've missed the audience as if it's a person. Like, mm. you know, like I've been sort of homesick for for the audience, which sounds ridiculous but it's been really um like a really real feeling uh less so now because as i say i have been lucky enough to be in different situations you know in, in between lockdowns where i've been able to do bits and bobs um but yeah certainly at the very start i i really it was like going cold turkey uh, you know, like not realising that you were addicted to a response yep. and addicted to like a communication with a crowd and suddenly it's taken away. Uh, it's quite mad, actually. I Never realised that, like how much, um, yeah, how much <laughs> I needed that, which is really bad, actually. But um, it's not bad. It's just like makes you go, oh, my God. It makes you really look at yourself. <laughs> but when you've spent most of your life doing that, it's um, it it's really really surreal to have it taken away.
0: Mm. Um, know, I, how
1: did you feel?
0: Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that. the 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 comedy improv stuff, I had kind of ruled out doing any of that. We, I'm in a short form improv group, like games group, um, and I kind of just thought, oh, we probably don't do any of that online because it was too hard. Mm. And then a friend said they wanted to do something for, like, uh, Red Nose Day. Would we do an improv? okay. So then we met up and had a couple of chats and practices about it, four of us, and it's like, how could we do it? Thought, well, if if all of the games are as if they're on Zoom and there's any lags or any time problems, that's okay because we're all on Hmm. Zoom. So, okay, so that was an interesting challenge to find a way to do it. And it was just nice, but I think as nice as the show was, it was nice to be chatting to people about doing Mm. a show like yeah. And again, I you know, you kind of forget that and you take it for granted a little bit when you're doing it. But, yeah, just having four people chat and making each other laugh. And it's not mm-hmm. a substitute for being in the room together at any stretch of the imagination, but it's certainly, for me, it was it's better than nothing and the same yeah. with the music gigs. And it has its advantages in that there's people who've seen some of the stuff I've done who've never been to a gig because they don't live somewhere I've been or mm. they they don't go out to shows or whatever. It is That side of it's interesting. And like you said about what carries on, it, whether performances are live and streamed at the same time, or whether there's a combination of the two, so people can can dip in, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. Because I really think a lot of, I wouldn't include myself in this, but a lot of people have really pushed the technology. We found mm. the limitations of it, and sort of forced it to get better. Um, yeah, and you know, you saw the production values go up incredibly from like it's not for me for me it's always just been the phone or the computer or whatever but people have multiple angles and decent light setups and stuff and now it's doing it from a venue isn't it so it's it's in effect it is like being at the show it's filmed properly but you're not there i don't know it's interesting isn't it and then uh, i spoke to someone who does sound for bbc radio and was involved in the the virtual audiences that they've been doing for all their comedy shows And panel shows and the same on TV as well. And it's like, okay, no one had really, from what I can tell, no one had really thought about doing that before. But it's like, well, Mm. it's a a pretty handy idea, actually, because, again, it means you're not having to say we're only going to have the 300 people who can get in the room. We can have people from wherever, you know, and somehow have been involved in the show. But, yeah, you know, whether we just abandon all of that when we don't need it anymore or whether it becomes (laughs) its own thing, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think um, you're right. There's a lot of pluses. Um, yeah a huge one being how accessible it has made watching live shows Um, yeah totally and and um, when I do I've done the Showstopper live stream a couple of times and that is brilliant in terms of knowing that people from other countries are able to watch you whereas they might not have been able to before or or people you know who have access needs who might not be able to find it easy to get to a theatre so I think that is brilliant and and also there's been things like the little communities of people watching that has sprung up, like um, Andrew Pugsley, who is also a member of Showstoppers. He's been running a, a weekly show mm. um, and uh, there's always like this little posse of people that watch it. And that's really nice because they're sort of chatting um, amongst themselves in within the chat. So I think there's a lot of pluses. And as an improviser I do like that the audience can interact the entire time.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> and just true.
1: Constantly suggest stuff and I do I did an Instagram live in character and I loved the fact <laughs> that they were constantly asking me questions. Um so yeah, there's there's pros and cons but I think it just took me longer than some people to like to get there or and and maybe yeah maybe it just wasn't a natural fit for me but for some people it has been They've like really carved out a niche. Yeah. It's really impressive.
0: Yeah. It is, it's, it's always interesting that, you know, people in adversity come up with new ways of doing things. It's very cool. Mm. Um, the other sort of plus for some people, I think, has been new projects that either were on the back burner or were just an idea or didn't even exist as a glint in anyone's eye. Have you had any of those that have come about because you've got the time through yeah. lockdown? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I guess having, having the time to make online sketches has been like really therapeutic, but also it's been really great in terms of building a little, a little bit of an audience, which I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to try and find my audience and build an audience like as a character comedian, Mm -hmm. but I've never really known how to go about it. So, I mean, that's been amazing. Um, For like, personally, I've found that really just really cool to know that you're sort of reaching more people um, and way more than I would be if I was like in a fringe venue (laughs) as I have been before you know many a time like trying to convince people complete strangers to come and see me like this has been a real revelation that actually I can reach people in a different way Um, so that's yeah that's definitely been something sort of that I've really extended this year and And then sort of from that, um, uh, me and Lucy, my writing partner, have just finished a little period of R&D with the Omnibus Theatre, which came from an online video Hmm. and came from them seeing an online video. So, yeah, that was incredibly unexpected and has created a brand new project. That's great. So, yeah, like I would never have dreamt of that. And over the years, I've spent you know loads of time in the past like approaching people trying to get um space or collaboration or just a foot in the door somehow and um this time we weren't trying and they approached us just because we'd made something so yeah that's so that's been really great and unexpected
0: now that is very cool a couple of things on that then I'm always interested in how the um, where something's going to be viewed, how it affects the the writing of it. So making those videos, which I guess are like quite short, maybe a couple of minutes, if that of, of a character or a sketch or whatever, um, which is different, I guess, from doing a, a, a Edinburgh Fringe character show where it's filling the hour <laughs> with characters, but you're trying to get a point across in a couple of minutes that that sort of hits home. Has that had to change the way that you've written those then?
1: Um, yeah, I think it's probably made me just as uh, made me slightly more brutal with myself mm. in terms of editing, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, I was, I was always quite happy to cut stuff and edit stuff anyway, but it's probably made me even more like, you no, know, get rid of anything that's anything you don't need, which I guess you should be doing anyway, shouldn't you as a, as a writer or especially a comedy writer, but, um, it's probably like really sharpened that, um, and made me less precious although I think being an improviser helps you to be less precious anyway because you're used to just chucking stuff away mm-hmm. um but I think yeah I think it's probably made me uh yeah just slightly more brutal like get to the point quicker
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. and <laughs> you know? then are you um editing those as well and so like you're being your own camera op- operator and lightning person and all that, and then editing it too, are those newer skills or is that stuff that you'd done before?
1: Um, yeah, I suppose those are newer skills, yeah. I think I had edited stuff before. I mean, it all, everything I do is pretty basic, but um, but yeah, I think I had edited stuff before, but not very often. So yeah, I mm. think that is a new skill. Like I've had to teach myself myself how to get quicker at that. Cause obviously sometimes there's a time pressure of like, well, I have to get this out today or it's not relevant. <laughs> ah, okay. So, um, yeah. So yeah. And when, um, we did a show with some of my showstopper friends, we did like a, a sort of parody of the Jackie Weaver. Um, I don't <laughs> know if you remember Jackie Weaver, but yeah, the, the counselor, this amazing counselor woman, <laughs> we did like a little parody of that. And, um, and I edited That And I had to really quickly teach myself how to do some sort of thing where you had more than one person on the screen at once.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) So
1: things that to a proper editor would be, like, really, really basic. But to me, they are, you're right, they are new skills. So, yeah. And I've always taken that attitude of, like, well, like, just get on with it and do it. You know, we've got Google. There's someone out there who's made an instructional video for literally everything. (laughs) So quickly look that up and then do it sort of thing
0: yeah and you find that those things sort of help other stuff as well don't they so like obviously this year Mm. as well the whole self-taping for actors has obviously become the way that people audition now. Um, so developing your skills in that, I think, is is advantageous. And just having an awareness of that stuff, even if you end up on a set or something, if you just sort of understand what those people are doing with all those jobs, which, I don't know, maybe, maybe as performers it's quite easy in the normal world to be like, oh, well, that's very technical, I don't need to worry about that. But having an understanding yeah. of other people's gig is probably quite helpful, I think, going forward.
1: I think so, definitely. I think it's a really good attitude to have as well, isn't it? Um, and and I think fringe, being being involved in any sort of fringe work that you make yourself also ticks those boxes. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I'm sure like anyone who's done all that has like a, and any performers who've done that have like a, a renewed respect for people who are technicians or stage managers, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, you're right. This sort of fills in the additional gaps as well, yeah.
0: Mm. Cool. Mm. Um, With your writing process then, if you're writing with someone who's also an improviser, so say Lucy, Mm. how much does improv play a part in the writing process or doesn't it at all?
1: No, I think it really does. I think it sort of underpins the, the ethos or the approach in that we're both very keen like we're both very open to each other's ideas mm. very keen to hear each other's ideas and build on them if we can um and that doesn't mean that we'll say yes to absolutely everything just as you wouldn't in an improv scene but um but I think it does mean that we're like inclined to be to be enthusiastic and open and that also then helps the other person to to you know make bold offers in improv speak or as a writer to like come up with unusual ideas or uh, a risky idea in Mm. theory. Um, So I think we both are really, really glad about that, that we have that. And, um, and yeah, this whole thing about not being precious definitely applies to both of us. We're, we're both very happy to rewrite stuff and lose like cut stuff. That's not working, lose stuff. Cause yeah, as improvisers, everything's so transient anyway. Mm constantly chucking away you know brilliant stuff
0: it's an interesting one isn't it because you want to feel uh encouraged enough that you can just say whatever and it'll Mm. get a fair hearing but then you don't want to just accept anything for the sake of it so it's a weird balance isn't it and you can have a couple of great people, and they don't necessarily find that balance. I don't think because if too many of your ideas get shut down, even if you're not trying to be precious, you can sort of well, I won't suggest anything. Then if you don't like any of it, but you know, it's quite easy. To, it's and and it's all sort of alchemy, isn't it? All those relationships you can't really plan when they're going to work and when they don't. I suppose.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely, and I think I just think there needs to be trust and support, mm. which there would be in a good improv team as well like there's got to be trust between the writers and and to know that you you will be supported um but not that you will be like pandered to obviously but just mm. yeah yeah I think the trust has to be there um as because otherwise as you say you'll just like stop suggesting Close stuff down.
0: yeah which is yeah because it's weird isn't it? it's weird um it's a weird ego thing isn't it of feeling I I can say what I want it's fine but then some of my ideas have to be worth saying if none of them get across then i'm going to stop saying stuff it's a weird we're just weird aren't we i suppose Creative yeah. people self-conscious yeah
1: i think also that whole like the writing partnership thing is also like you said it's an alchemy and mm-hmm. it's probably being similar enough or having similar enough taste but also having differences to fill in each other's uh character you know um what's this, uh, characteristics but like to complement each other. Yeah. Um, because I think me and Lucy are, are similar in lots of ways, but we are also quite different, and that's why it works. I think.
0: Yes. But, yeah. Yeah. And would you only write with Lucy then at the moment, like this over Zoom, or will it then be you have a meeting and then you'll send in ideas by email or whatever afterwards? How does How does that work?
1: Yeah. It kind of we've we've got like a, three or four things we're working on, so it's it partly depends on the project, but. Mm. Um, but, yeah, we would always have, like, a a check-in, like a, a, um, a Zoom meeting, and then if we were working on a specific script, maybe it'd be like, oh, do you want to go away and write these scenes, and I'll write these scenes, sort of, like, divvy it up. Um, but then if it's something sort of less creative that is, like, a treatment or a pitch or something, one of us might do a pass at it and then send it to the other one and say, do you want to do a second pass? And, yeah. So it sort of depends, I guess.
0: Mm, that's good, I, you know. And I think having that um, uh, flexibility with, within a relationship is good, isn't it? Because you can get stuck in in patterns of, and then when the patterns stop working and stop producing results, you haven't got any other ideas, I suppose. Um, and did yeah. you did you meet Lucy through through Showstop or did you know each other before that?
1: Yeah, I th- I think that is where we first met. Yeah, um, yeah. Like the improv scene is quite. As you probably know, it's quite sort of like um, you bump into people eventually. Yeah. <laughs> so like I probably I would have met her anyway. But yeah, we did. I think we did officially meet through Showstoppers. Um, yeah. And it wasn't like an immediate. We didn't immediately think, oh, let's write together. No. It just sort of after a few years, just like a chance conversation kicked it off
0: i'm sorry to interrupt the conversation at this point but i wondered if i could ask if you might possibly consider subscribing to the podcast rating it and writing a review on your favorite podcast provider doing these wonderful things encourages the all-powerful algorithms to push the podcast to new people it's also helpful when i'm talking to potential future guests as it shows the people are listening thank you how important is it from your point of view to have had your own work bubbling along at the same time, so stuff that you're making yourself? I guess what I'm asking is, if you were just relying on the the stuff that came in via an agent and the auditioning, how fulfilling would that be?
1: (laughs) Yeah, not fulfilling. I I suspected (laughs) that might be
0: the answer.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I think... um, No, but again, it's something I've given loads of thought to over the years, but um, I think for me it's just something i've always really really been driven to do is to make my own work even you know even as a teenager like writing terrible sketches that never saw the light of day or like poetry or whatever like i've just always been really driven to do that and um and then yeah and then when i when i was um predominantly an actor i was yeah as i said i was still writing and Uh, if I hadn't been I think I would have been very very unfulfilled not just because of the create creating your own stuff but also because the range of characters that are out there for people to play but especially for women to play are and especially then were quite limited Mm. um and yeah and like when I was in my 20s I looked so you know I looked like a baby (laughs) um and because I'm really petite and so I would often play these very young roles, yeah. which is kind of great fun in one sense. But in another sense, they're often written in quite a boring, they're like a boring protagonist that just asks loads of questions and does one interesting thing near the end. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, and during that time, I was like, oh, God. Um, and I just knew that I could be using my skills more fully and, you know, making an audience laugh or um, trans- being a bit more, trans- you know, transforming into various characters or something. So, yeah, during that time, I was, like, itching to just do my own stuff. Um, and uh, and if I hadn't, I think, yeah, it would have been very, very unfulfilled because, and also because you don't have a sense of agency, you know, you're just waiting for the phone to ring and um, and I think that's really yeah just really disempowering mm. for anyone even if they're not I don't know even if it's an actor who's, who doesn't really like writing I just think it's so valuable to give yourself something else that you, that is yours or that you have a little bit of agency in mm. um, unless you're really like blessed with an absolutely brilliant varied non-stop career um, of acting roles but that's that's unusual uh, Yeah. I think.
0: And even if yeah. you're, stu- you know, if you're in my experience, if it's stuff that you're not literally writing yourself, but it, you've got yourself in with a, um, a small little film, an independent film, or people who are making mm. stuff for themselves, because of the way that the technology is now, people can make things. People can, you know, write and direct their own sketches and, and films and whatever. Whether anybody sees them is a slightly different question, but it kind of doesn't matter because you're still making the thing. And... I don't know how you feel about this, yeah. but I think an objective for a lot of creatives is, is make the thing and then anything else that happens afterwards is a slightly different different conversation, really. And I'm interested in, in those things where, for, for want of a better word, the, the proper gigs or the proper jobs, so like TV stuff or whatever or, or touring theatre, how many of those have come about in some sense because of something you were making yourself, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, yeah it makes total sense. I was gonna say that as well actually i, I lo- yeah looking back I can trace a lot of stuff back to through um back to stuff that came through something I did initially um yeah yeah like when I was at the fringe one year there was a sort of um an opportunity to do five minutes of your show in front of a CBBC crowd and so I rewrote something and did that. And then they came to my solo show. And then from that, I got a job on um, DNN, which was this sketch show, a CBBC sketch show. Uh, well, actually, I did also have to to make them a couple of videos and send them that. But again, that's just something I made myself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I did two series of that. And then from that, I, got, I was able to audition for another CBBC show called Class Dismissed, which I did two series of. So... I don't think any of that would have necessarily come about if I hadn't initially got on their radar through a character that I'd created and rewritten for, you know, for the purposes of showing them. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's not like that for everyone. Some people are just have, you know, auditions that go, that sort of land in their lap and then they just, that takes off for them. But I think for me, it has been through my own stuff, um, predominantly i mean the ideal is that it would be a mixture of the two Mm. uh and it is always a bit of a mixture but i think yeah i'm just thinking about stuff i've done recently and um yeah it's usually it's usually through yourself (laughs) yeah
0: and i think the handy thing with that as well is like things can go well sometimes you might get a really great gig but then it stops or it's not there Mm. forever but if you've still got your other thing happening or your other things happening at the same time it doesn't matter it's just another it's just another thing that you've done that's you know that's useful and that's handy
1: yeah exactly because it's not like a traditional trajectory where hmm. yeah it's not a ladder is it so um you're absolutely right and uh, and there's been there's been theater jobs I've done in the past that have been you know really like really beautiful shows and like really um like I did a show at the National. It was a really gorgeous uh, company and a, lo- a lovely show and everything. But when that finished, that's the end. Yes. It's not like someone goes, oh, you've gone through the National Theatre door. That means you get onto the next level of being an actor, like not at all. You just go back to whatever in-between job I was doing at the time. Um, and but at the time I was also running a comedy night. So as you say, it's not you're not like plunged into despair because you're like oh right I've got to get on with this and got to write some material for this show Mm. so yeah I think it's really healthy to have something else
0: the sort of converse of what we're talking about and I'm interested in how you feel about this is like so for me I would I'd say I'm an actor and a musician and I do uh, improv and then I might write a bit as well and you occasionally sort of think is that a lot of things for people to sort of get (laughs) their head in and and that analogy of digging for oil and then just as you get the oil you stop that well and start another one over here and I used to worry about this a bit and then in the end I thought well fuck it I'm interested in all all these things so I'll do I'll do them for that reason you know as well as anything else but I feel like you're in a slightly similar situation writing improv Mm. acting has that been a problem or or not you know if you want to give someone Mm. a one-line pitch about what you do is that difficult
1: yeah, it is, and I I do think it. Yeah, I do think it's a bit of a problem, or at least it has been in the past. Yeah, and I have thought in the past. God, if I just stuck to one thing, mm. maybe I'd be further along with that one thing now. Uh, but then maybe not. Nobody knows. That's <laughs> but a, yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely take your point. And um, uh, when I met um, doing a podcast, I met Andy Nyman who mm. I think is, you know, fantastic. I think of him as a fantastic actor, writer, um, consultant on magic, you know, uh, on, with Darren Brown, et cetera. Mm. Um, but he was like, I only describe myself as an actor. And I thought that was really interesting. Because um, so for him, even though he's multi-skilled, he is very careful about how he describes himself. So that, um, yeah, so people have, take that away with them, I guess, and think of him in that light. Which makes sense, um, and yeah, I have gone back and forth on that over the years, and like <laughs> played around with my Twitter bio, you know. Oh yeah, that's like one, oh, is there too many slashes? Am I too many things? But also, I just think it all comes from the same root. Yeah, like it comes from the root for me. It comes from like playfulness and making stuff and mm. being interested in other people and writing about them or being them. So, like, it kind of comes from the same place, I think. Um, But, yes, it does make other people's life harder because they love, you know, other people want to pigeonhole you, don't they?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. And even within the one thing that you do. So it's like, oh, you're an actor. Yeah. Well, what, what, do, what acting do you do? Well, it's the point of acting is, you know, do lots of different things. And certainly with music, when you're trying to book music shows, it can be a nightmare because you're like, you're not quite folk enough for this gig or oh. our audience doesn't do that. You know, it's like, you're great, but it's not quite right for this thing. What do you do? Who do you sound like? All that stuff, which is all just part of of selling stuff, isn't it? And, you know, people need, a, a, like I say, a line, a byline to sort of get what you're doing, which, of course, is difficult if it's something quite new because, you know. Mm. But then how do you describe original things? I think it comes back to what you were saying before, really. Like you've just got to get people – just show people, don't tell them. <laughs> just let them see what it is <laughs> rather than try and describe it, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think – I know what you mean. I didn't realise that music was so – was so like that, um but that makes sense now that you said it. But um yeah, I think for years I sort of resisted the idea of sell it, of that we have to kind of, in inverted commas, sell what we are or what mm. we do. And I think I resisted that for so so long, and actually perhaps I should have just um doubled down on it. <laughs> but uh yeah, I don't know. It's so hard, though, isn't it?
0: It's. I think uh, you're wrong. Whatever yeah. you do, as well, though, aren't you? That's the thing. Like, like you were saying, sh- would you get further if you focused on one thing? and you read about people who have um success in inverted commas and it's like oh they didn't they literally didn't do anything else but study the oboe for 30 years no wonder they were really successful but then the other side of that is like well who wants writers who've only ever known about writing you want people to have had lives don't you so they've got more interesting things to talk about from mm. my point of view
1: yeah definitely definitely and the same with and like especially with improvisers um yeah like I think the more the the more open you are to different improv styles and and you know if you if you do other stuff whether that's music or acting or whatever and then you improvise it's all it's just all like extra ingredients isn't it for an interesting performance hopefully
0: yeah um, and and it makes people unique as well it's like the whole thing about people changing their accents or or the the way that they look because that's what's um I suppose for an actor, say that's what everyone on telly at the moment looks this particular way or talks in this particular voice was like, well, they're already doing that. So being not like that could be quite a good idea, really. And like as much as you're acting and pretending to be other people, some degree should run towards what you are and what you're interested in, because that's that's you in it, I suppose.
1: Yeah, definitely. Is it Dolly Parton that's got an amazing quote about that? That's like, um, find out. I don't know if it's her, someone who's like, find out what you, what you sort of find out who you are and then do that like as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really paraphrasing, but something like that. And I think that's true. I mean, that's what the best comedians do, isn't it? They find out how they're perceived and what their persona is. And then they're like, right, let's just really, really go for that. Mm. Um, yeah.
0: The other side of that that I find interesting to, to people for this is like, Asking people what they thought that or, or what influenced them and got them started. So for me, like music, you, you spend years. If someone says it sounds like one of the people you're really influenced by, you're like, oh no, it's too obvious. And then suddenly you go, but they're the people who got me interested, so that's cool. Like, and the same with with anything. I think with anything that you create, you sort of get to the point where oh, I'm doing a bit like the stuff that got me started. So what was the stuff that got you started, I suppose, is the question, in a long-winded way? Mm.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I guess the stuff that got me started was, um, like, Vic and Bob. Uh, Early Vic and Bob, absolutely loved. Um, But at the time, I genuinely didn't know that doing that sort of thing would be an option for me um, because I was a girl. Mm -hmm. And... um, yeah, but it obviously went really deep into my subconscious. This yeah, that sort of surreal, fun, silly humor. And um yeah, like French and Saunders, of course, on a similar
0: mm-hmm.
1: in a similar way. I was always like massively into comedy, but I didn't know I genuinely didn't know that that would be something I could do mm-hmm. uh, as like genuinely as a little girl, I didn't think that was an option for me. Um so I kind of, but then I was also equally loved acting. Uh, so I was kind of, I guess, pushing more in the like character, character actor type of ambitions. Um, like yeah, like Jane Horrocks and you know all those great sort of characterful people.
0: Mm. Um, and and you haven't really mentioned stand up there, and I, I suppose stand up is not. Uh, I don't know if you've done stand-up, necessarily you've done character shows, which is a slightly different thing. And I think mm. similar for me, it was it was sitcom and sketch, really, um, rather than stand-up. But then it depends what's happening at the time you're coming up to some degree, doesn't it? Like stand-ups, I think, had a massive thing as I was getting older. So like you, Michael McIntyre and all that roadshow stuff and all that. Stand-up became the thing, like the rock star thing, whereas I think a bit before that it was double acts and sketch shows and that sort of stuff which which aren't as round in quite the same way now I guess in the mainstream I don't know
1: mm, yeah I mean yeah like there's so many there's there's so many great sketch groups and sketch shows out there but it's just commissioners don't want to commission them because it's too in their minds it's too expensive mm. Because of all the different locations, yes. Um, so that's like a real bugbear uh, that no one will commission a sketch show. Um, but yeah, I've always liked stand up as well. But I've only I've only performed really as a character comedian. Um, although I have huge respect for for stand up comedians and for like the art of stand up. Mm-hmm. But it's not something I've. I mean, I've only like really dipped a toe in. So I haven't. I couldn't really say that I've done it. But um, yeah. I can't remember what your original question was. <laughs> I don't know if it was one really. I was just sort of rambling.
0: Um No, yeah, just the stuff that got you started and then how mm. close how close what you end up doing is to the stuff that got you started.
1: Oh yeah, that's a good point actually. I think pretty close. Cause also Yeah, because like when I was uh you know a child and a teenager, I did a lot of like local Amdram. Mm. Um I didn't know that stuff like national youth theatre and stuff, I didn't really know that existed. So I just did like the local, yeah, the local sort of Amdram, which I loved. And a lot of the stuff we put on was musicals. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I haven't, I'm not a musical theatre actress, but I have ended up obviously doing Improvised comedy musicals, so it seems like actually, yeah, the stuff that I was into at the start, like clowning and character comedian and sketch and musicals is all sort of merged into one, <laughs> so yeah, and I think like sitcoms as well were a big thing, uh when I was growing up, also like I loved Black adder, um you know, just this, this it was just so great, <laughs> uh yeah, loads of loads of brilliant comedy. Mm. but yeah interesting to think I didn't really think that was an option till I was a lot older
0: so it was the original intention to be an actor then and, and just mm.
1: yeah 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 which you know is what I did and is what I still do but um but yeah I just thought oh well uh I'll be a character actor that's something that I've seen lots of women do um so I can <laughs> and I can do that and that's what I'm interested in which all of which is true but yeah, I didn't realise until years later, until I started going to uh, to watch stand-up and to watch other people at the Fringe, then I realised like, oh, okay, this is open to me. Um, I could pursue this if I wanted to in a, dif- in a different way and not just be stuck as an actor. Uh, and when I watched, um, I went to the Edinburgh Fringe one year just as a punter and I watched We Are Clang. I don't know if you've ever seen their stuff, mm. um, but it was so amazing and so like anarchic and ridiculous and loud and in your face and all of the things that i felt okay. like theater uh at the time was trying to be but couldn't mm. um and that really sort of yeah just really opened my eyes and influenced me i think <laughs> mm.
0: Yeah, I often ask people what their definition of success is, and you can sort of interpret it as you like, like career-wise or uh, you know making a thing. So, how what do you think? What's your definition of something that that works? What how would you judge something has mm-hmm. been a success?
1: Like uh, the, as in, how would I judge like whether whether a, co- a career was a success?
0: Yeah, either <laughs> either that or <laughs> a thing that you've made or, or written. So you know,
1: mm. both or either. I, I think like if it was in terms of how i would view whether my career was successful perhaps it would be like whether i was making a living um but like calling the shots
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> not entirely but maybe 60% 70% yep, that makes sense so so i wasn't entirely dependent on other on the whims of other people uh, like on the whims of uh, uh, you know um a commissioner or a producer or something to get back to me. Like I'd love to be in a position where I was, yeah, uh, where I had that amount of agency and could then like help other people and you know as well. Um and in terms of like whether a specific project is successful, I think, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because so many different ways of judging it. I think if you've well, I was gonna say if you've got managed to get a reaction from people, but actually that's not true because you could get a terrible reaction. Or you could just do something for the sake of it. So um, hmm, I don't know. I guess if if you've made something that someone's re- that's really resonated with people, or like thinking of the R and D I just did with Lucy, if we if we made something from that that moved people, I would feel and that and if they left feeling I don't know hopeful or if it was cathartic. Then, yeah, I'd say that was a success. I think you have to, with a specific project, maybe you have to know um, what you would like the audience to feel. Perhaps. I don't know.
0: Mm. That makes sense. Okay, Susan, that's been great. Thank you very much. If people wanted to catch up with you, is Twitter kind of your main avenue of expression (laughs) for that kind of thing? (laughs)
1: Yeah, Twitter's my favorite avenue. Uh, Yeah. Um, And uh, I'm also on Instagram. As Susan Yeehaw, which is an improv game, Yeehaw. Uh Uh, Very hard to find. But yeah, Susan Yeehaw on on Instagram and all the usual places. Uh, Got a website as well, susanharrisoncharacters.com, and everything's on there.
0: Great. And as we're talking at the start of May, we're looking ahead to things possibly becoming a bit more. it's great you said earlier you didn't say more normal you said as they were before which i think was a really nice way of putting it um head towards things becoming a bit more as they were before um have you got any performances lined up that people might want to know about
1: yes i've written them in pencil in case i have to rub them out but um, yeah the main one is these folk which is this improvised folk play with songs and that is on Saturday 26th as part of the Brighton Fringe. And it would be lovely to see some faces there, you know, shouting out suggestions. That would be brilliant. Um, other than that, I've got various gigs for Showstopper coming up, like dotted here and there, but that will all be on my website.
0: Great. And these folk, just to chat a bit about that then, that's with Justin, isn't it, who's also a Showstopper, I think, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's with Justin Brett. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh and with uh rosie Begonzi on percussion hopefully she'll be free for brighton i don't know but she's amazing um and um uh curtis Volp, who is an incredible jazz guitarist um and uh it's just like good vibes and good times and folky music
0: good and who could ask for more than that particularly <laughs> given what you've all gone through for the past few months that's fantastic thank you susan great to chat to you thank you Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Join us next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast. Until then, please subscribe, rate and review and have a look at robertlanemusic.co.uk to see the other projects I'm working on. Thank you. Goodbye.